0: For rocking with us, check it, Julie, kick off the show.
1: Welcome to Crazy in the King Election Week 2022.
0: Election Week 2022, and Mastodon is rising. Now listen, for those of you who are listening to this pod, Julie and I actually have done this introduction two times. So we're not going to necessarily have as much fun with it the second time, but I promise you we are going to have a conversation around Mastodon. Um so clear your mind, Jake, <laughs> were, were you like were you familiar with Mastodon before this weekend or actually uh, before we even started recording?
1: So before we started recording, but only like 2 days ago because of all the Twitter stuff, I'm like, "Oh shit, where am I going to go? What am I going to do?" Just
0: yes. yes,
1: the Mastodon Rising.
0: The the rising, the rising. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so listen. Um, when when I was on the plane, you actually hit me with an an article, and it was really around some funky new gray towers going up on the streets in New York City. And on a serious note, there's some people with some concerns. And the article is titled, "For those of you listening, it's What Are Those Mysterious New Towers Looming." over New York's sidewalks. Why did you pull this article?
1: Uh, well, I just think it's really interesting for a few different reasons. So they're 5G towers to, to break everyone's, uh, you know, yeah. interest on it. But 5G towers to be exact. Um, there are more than 2,000 places across New York City. So think the, you know, the five boroughs where these 5g towers have been put up and let's say they're like two or three going to be
0: put up just like correction going to be put up 2000 going to be put up go ahead
1: yes and so some of them have started to pop up around the city um and just so like when i think of 5g i think of a cell phone tower but this is sort of like a mini cell phone tower it goes up let's say maybe like three stories high So you could be standing at the bus stop and look up and you could be standing underneath a 5G tower, could be outside your apartment window, that kind of thing. And they're being put up in Internet deserts and basically 90 percent of them are going into Internet deserts, which are underserved areas of the city in terms of getting access to reliable high speed Internet. And we know how incredibly important that is when it comes to being able to work remotely, um, being able to help kids do homework, to get access to the information that they need, to be well-educated members of, of the community and and society. And so what really caught me off guard, and I think this is sort of where your brain went too, was um, this is a really good thing, I think, and, and this is my opinion, because we need all, you know, we need to make sure that people who don't have access to very expensive internet, you know, like a lot of us have to pay for, are getting access to 5G. Um, but the community seemed rather upset about it. They they weren't really happy um, because there didn't seem to be a lot of communication. And interestingly enough, some of them didn't see the need.
0: Yeah, didn't see the need. And I would say, you know, the healthcare concerns. I mean, think about how many years, Jay, we walked around and people said that this was a problem. Having the phone to our ear could be an issue it being so close to our brain. And so there are even mentions in the story around the healthcare concern. One mother raises the issue saying that the tower is just right outside of her son's bedroom window. And so I think it's absolutely fair. And I don't think it's asking too much of a community. Um, I don't think it's too much of a community to ask. That's a better way to say it. I don't think it's too much of a community to ask. That you communicate with us that you share with us that these developments these enhancements are coming down the pipe that this is the reason why we are doing them we want to allay your concerns around healthcare or access or whatever the case may be i just don't think it's too much uh, of them to ask tell us what is going on uh you mentioned something um uh in the opening you said that this was election week and so because it's election week, I said, you know what, why don't we do this story on Glenn Yonkin? So Glenn Youngkin is the governor of Virginia. And earlier this year in January, he set up what he considered to be a tip line. And I shouldn't necessarily say he set up his administration set up what they consider to be a tip line around this critical race theory. Now, for all of our listeners, you know, Julie and I have talked about a number of instances where critical race theory has been brought up. It's been brought up in the corporate corridor. It's been brought up by politicians. It's been brought up by community groups and organizers. I think about the group down in Texas, the moms. These folks have really attacked critical race theory and basically said, we don't want it taught in our schools. We, want it to, we don't want it to happen in our workplaces nowhere we really don't want history that makes us uncomfortable to be talked about so the administration set up a critical race theory tip line in january and guess what happened in september jay i'll tell you exactly what happened nothing
1: nothing nothing, nothing.
0: I'm, sorry. I'm sorry i couldn't hear you can you say that again not one more time shit uh, yeah yeah that That right there nothing Because most of the tips that they received came from, well, most of them came from one woman, but the few that they received were around academic rigor, um, special education, teaching tactics. There were some praises of adulation and congratulations for the teachers, but few, very, very few, if any, tips or complaints around critical race theory. So in September, they closed the tip line down.
1: Yeah, so, right, just, <laughs> the, I can almost see a correlation now, and bear with me while I say this out loud for the first time, between this 5G story and this Glenn Youngkin story. Okay. So, gl- Glenn Youngkin, in this case, um, took political action right not government not civic action took political action to keep a base of his supporters agitated um, to you know not sort of be the grown-up in the room that says, you know what this isn't real um, this isn't really a problem. We know that you've been kind of fed these theories on at these conspiracies. we're not seeing it. Um, And and we're not going to focus on it anymore. This is very similar to what's happening in our schools around the furries and the bathroom bills, just political nonsense. Right. And then what you have on the other hand, the other side of the aisle is um, politicians who are trying to do something good civically, but forget to ask the people that they're helping. Right. And so all of this is around legitimate, necessary communication and having the people that serve us, who we elect to these offices, understand that they cannot make decisions unilaterally and they can't make decisions um, that are based on what their perceptions of our needs are or what reality is on their own. And I don't know if that that correlates, but it's just like a lot of shitty communication. Um, And sometimes maybe solving for a problem or solving for a problem that the community that or that doesn't actually exist.
0: Like the voting piece that you mentioned uh, around, you know, new, in the New York Times and how since the pandemic, I know that there have been some changes in how the disability community has been able to participate in the voting process.
1: Yeah. New York Times has a great article out on Election Day. Um, I, I highly encourage you to go back and read it. Um, just talking about that disabled voters are twice as likely to have um, problems voting in person um, as, an, as a non-disabled person. And in fact, during the 2020 election, um, more than 2 million voters with disabilities reported that they were not able to um finish the active voting or vote with the appropriate privacy protections. And that's a significant number. Um, and then as we move towards these more restricted um laws and regulations around the right to vote and and all the rules of, of putting pieces and parts in place to protect identities and make sure there's no voter fraud, which does not happen at any scale in this country, what politicians are doing, again, is making it more difficult for a uh, part of their constituency, a large part of their constituency, to actually participate in the process
0: yeah which is absolutely unnecessary, which is a reminder for all of us that while we may vote on a particular day uh at specific times throughout the year, that the necessity for us to be present and involved, involved and present, attentive, intentional that that requirement is something that exists all the time that we um in the in the throes of our day to day and moving about life all of the responsibilities that we have personally, professionally, that we cannot forget to be civically engaged to some degree. And speaking of voting, we'll close out with Home Depot. They actually voted down. This is in Philadelphia. They voted down the opportunity to unionize uh, in the Home Depot stores. The vote was one hundred and sixty five to fifty one against. Forming the Home Depot Workers United, uh, as you might know, for those listening, uh, it's an Atlanta-based company. They employ somewhere in around five hundred thousand people in more than twenty-three hundred stores in the U.S., uh, Canada, and Mexico. So, no union in Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, and this. I mean, it, I actually read the story, and I kind of thought, well, I'm really surprised that they they decided not to unionize. But what I had to kind of step back. And remember, is that Philly's in the Northeast, um, which has much greater labor protections. It has a stronger history of, of unionization than um, a, a lot of the rest of the country. And so outside of reading the article and, and hearing that there were some potentially some harassment things that were happening with the employees in this particular um Area or managers who are trying to unionize, um, this is a much different conversation than a Starbucks in Little Rock or an Amazon in, you know, Mississippi, where worker protections are significantly less from a, a regulatory perspective than they are up in the Northeast. Uh, we'll see how this continues to play out, but I think that where we really need that union build out is really it's in the south and the midwest that's where we've lost a lot of those worker protections over the last three decades
0: cool so a word from our sponsor and we'll keep pushing through this election week episode So in a flash, let's talk about the chicken and the egg. The bird let go of several thousand employees ad revenues have dropped. Potential class action lawsuit is looming, and he justifies it because of activists, social groups pressuring advertisers. Women's unemployment in the U.S. rose by two hundred and twelve thousand or point three percent in October. This is according to new data from the Department of Labor. A more recent loss has been MSNBC's weekend host, Tiffany Cross. She's leaving the network. Some say fired and many say left unprotected by that employer, MSNBC. The world's tallest woman hopped on a plane for the very first time at seven feet 0.7 inches tall. The airline removed six seats for her. For those listening, this is a non-work-related example of the difference between equality and equity. Now, if you missed it, not a problem. Just rewind the episode and listen again. And finally, Yes Hearing, a New York-based hearing technology and audiology care provider raised $10 million in a Series A round of funding. And it's still a no for me on Twitter blue, which is now another retail play. Which brings us back to Mastodon. You ready, Jay? Let's talk.
1: Oh, my God. So before we talk Mastodon, I also have to give a little name drop early in the show for uh, our social media person, Trisha, who is helping us. She put a poll on Instagram about paying for Twitter Blue, and I was just completely fascinated. So if you're not following us on Instagram, Go do it. Take a vote on the poll. Let us know what you think. And we'll we'll do more of
0: those. Shout out, Tricia. We so appreciate the work that you have been doing, like literally loving how you have amplified and built up our social presence over there on the I.G. So that hot water I mentioned is boiling. There are more than a few disappointed murmurs when Academy Award winning actor Lupita Nyong'o announced that she would become the global diamond brand. Um, of De Beers, their first ever global ambassador. Kyrie Irving has raised anti-Semitism concerns. Rihanna disappointed fans with the choice of Johnny Depp. And we know a whole bunch of people are mad at Jack Dorsey. Um, Let me just say, here's here's what Chris D. Jackson said about Jack Dorsey on Instagram. He said, quote, it's not about your business practices. It's that you said Elon is the singular solution that you trust. And his question to you, Jack, was, are billionaires really that mesmerized by each other? And I want to go back to that. Elon is the singular solution that I trust. I guess, you know, my question this week, Jay, as we talk for a couple of moments, you know, I just found myself really, I'll use the word disappointed. Um, I think that that's a little light because that tends to be a part of the week. You know, you, you ebb and flow through these emotions, how you're feeling about certain subject matter. Um, I found myself just a little disappointed in, as Chris says, that disconnectedness of some of these people that breathe a rare air and how it is that you cannot see what you are doing. It is paralytic. It is peril. It is uh, an abuse, misuse. It's just detrimental to more of humanity than it is serving. And why is it that we seem to continue to suffer the brunt of many of these decisions?
1: Well, that was a big question for our our little podcast here um, this afternoon. And, you know, I mean, I think the thing. If we go if we went back and listened to last week's episode, right. You were kind of like, yeah, Twitter, whatever. Elon, whatever. Like, no big deal. And I That's a
0: fact. That's a fact.
1: And I mean, and here's the thing that's good about us, right? I tend to like overboard, overreact a lot of times, and and you kind of bring me back to like the the same middle place. And but what I think that we found this week is how much damage one person can do inside of a corporation in the matter of hours. Right, so um, Jack, and, and I think a lot of us had sort of this sort of fan girl, fan boy thing about Jack that he was sort of this good tech guy. Um, he he got a big payday, right? And at the end of the day, that's really what it's about: is all these billionaires getting bigger paydays with each other, and that's why they're so fascinated with each other. But knowing that, you know, Elon dissolved all the employee resource groups. He cut the content moderation team. He also um, gutted, if not completely dissolved, the accessible user experience team um, in just a matter of hours because what he needs is to make more money Um, because he took on so much debt to make this purchase. And now we're all living with the consequences of his knee-jerk reaction to buy an option that he couldn't really afford to uh to actually have have called on him
0: and and let me just say i don't even care see here i go again with the i don't care (laughs) uh, first of all good call on your part uh because i talked about that you know one night this week at dinner i was sharing with the person um Dan fellows from get optimal. He's uh, out here with me as well in California. And I shared with him how last week I had that position around Elon taking over and how you had your position and my, oh my, how in five days things changed because he put up one tweet and that one tweet really sent me over the edge. Um, but, but I, I, I say, I don't care in the sense of he purchased something he couldn't afford because there were a lot of people that is now coming out. well, I don't know how true it is, but I'm seeing names of people who contributed to that forty four billion dollar acquisition that buy, how he raised that money. and there's some names in there of people that you know a lot of us uh, admire, if you will, we respect to a certain degree we we rock with to a certain degree. so How he got to owning it uh, is his balance sheet business. I I think the challenge that I have um, with this scenario is how is it that you you could be so short-sighted that you could come in and just drastically begin to cut? I mean, most leadership books, most of them, from the 90s to 2000s to 10s, Most of them still have a very familiar theme in them, which is as a leader, when you take over, do not do anything for the first 30 days. For the most part, walk around, get to know the landscape, understand your terrain, and then begin to make some decisions. But give it 30 days. Okay, fine. If 30 is too long, give it 15. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) You ain't got 15 let's give it five <laughs> let's give it let's give it five you know, in five hours this cat was going through like a wrecking ball and now is in some ways paying a price and to your point uh and to our inner flash piece he's he's blaming the fact that he cut staff on the loss of advertisers well the advertisers were beginning to walk away even before the acquisition was finalized, they walked away in the beginning of the final hours or those new hours of the acquisition. So, I, I just don't think that as a billionaire, as a person, he has uh, exhibited the type of leadership that we would want. Actually, and I can't pull it up fast enough, but you mentioned that engineering team that was responsible for much of the accessibility options that were developed. Mm-hmm. That leader, is the person that I would enjoy working for. He's the person that I absolutely would find to be inspiring, supportive, resourceful. That's the person that I feel uh, is an incredible, that's the model of, and it's just one of many, many models. I just don't think that Elon or Jack have done a good job of modeling good leadership.
1: Yeah, and I think they'll continue to get away with that right? And I think, you know, when you mentioned those other names in the list this week, right? So, uh, Lupita. Kyrie,
0: Kyrie, Rihanna, Lupita. Yep, yep, yep.
1: What do all of those people have in common? Black. They're all black. They're all black. And I, Lord Jesus, I don't think that we had this conversation on the record last time that we talked, but you know, kind of goes back to Kanye, who Kanye has some things happening that he needs to, to answer for, but holding to account a black man at a different standard than we hold a white man to, I think is, is part of, of what kind of goes full circle for me here. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know necessarily that I, I feel like Kyrie deserves a pass or, you know. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Um, But I just feel like as I keep watching um, people be held account to their errors, the ones that we're talking about right now more significantly than the ones that we should be talking about, like Elon, like Jeff Bezos, like Jack Dorsey, um, are, you know, successful black and brown people.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned uh, all of them being black. Uh, You mentioned a higher or a different standard, a different, um, threshold of accountability. Um, I think about Kyrie in a different way. I think about Kyrie in the sense of he's an individual who has apologized. Um, he's an individual who has, uh, according to the reports that I've seen made a donation to, uh, the ADL, if not other organizations. Um, he simply says, this is my opinion. Uh, I'm I'm suggesting or recommending that you watch a particular movie. I think the movie is titled Hebrews to uh, Black, if I'm not mistaken. Negroes, I think H- to Negroes, Hebrews, Hebrews to Negroes, something like that. Yeah, uh, I have not seen the movie. So so here's the issue. And you bring up Bezos. Here's the issue. The issue for me is I don't believe that Kyrie is anti-Semitic. OK, I don't get that from what he said. I don't believe that Kyrie has any ill um will or concern for Jewish people. I believe that he was sharing what he believes to be some historical revelation, some truth around how we have evolved and he was suggesting that people watch this particular movie. And my question becomes well, if you're mad at Kyrie for suggesting that people should watch the movie, shouldn't we be boycotting the platform where the movie is housed? Because I don't see any tweets. I, let, let me tell you, Jay, I listen to black and white hosts on radio stations, programs that are on black platforms or primarily black platforms as well as primarily white platforms. I listened to a variety of talk hosts, intellectual individuals that can do far more justice to a conversation such as this than I ever will be able to. And I recall last week listening to a woman call in on a show and she was berating Kyrie. And so I said, and and at that point, this is probably Thursday, I had not really dug into why is he going through all this drama, but it became so much of an interest for me. Like, let me just take a couple of days, Saturday and Sunday. I started to look and I'm like, I don't think this is adding up. This is really not adding up for me. And I think the question, the bigger question for me is, you know, to those that are listening uh, in our audience that are Jewish my question to you all is a really sincere question can one say anything about the jewish community and it not be categorized as being anti-semitic can one say anything anything even if it's truthful can one if, if can one say anything critical and it not be immediately categorized as being anti-Semitic. I say the same thing, Jay, around cancel culture. I say the same thing around people tossing around the term of you're racist. I don't always categorize things as being racist. I just don't, that's not my default. So it feels to me like much of what is happening against Kyrie, is the default of, oh, just because he said something or whatnot, let's just put it in this category over here.
1: So I think a a few things. Um, One is I think it would be fantastic for us um, in 2023 to have more conversations around anti-Semitism And have some of our, you know, Jewish friends and colleagues come on the show to help us better understand how to how for us to make those differentiations and what the appropriate sort of landing and middle ground is because it's not a a a subject that I'm super comfortable with. Um, I I always feel like I do tread very thinly because I don't want to say something that's incorrect, and I think that's something that, you know, as you and I are always looking at like. Where where do we want to know more? Where do we make ourselves better? I can't imagine that our listeners wouldn't also benefit from that conversation. Indeed, Um, I also think Kyrie in particular has a um, has a target on him a lot of times because he has been so controversial um, over the past few years, especially around refusing to get vaccinated. You know some other things that he has done and said that um, has has caused his words and, and actions to be scrutinized fast, quickly, whether that's correct or incorrect. Um, you know, and the I, I've been looking in the movie that he put up was Hebrews to Negroes, Wake Up Black America. Um, And according to the New York Times, it's a 2018 film driven by anti-Semitic tropes about Jewish people lying about those origins. Among its false and outlandish claims is the assertion that the Holocaust never happened. So what, you know, Kyrie put a link in his one of his Instagram stories to that movie. Um, It got caught up and and thus here we are with him um, being uh, Titled as unfit for uh, being a part of the Brooklyn Nets organization. Go ahead.
0: So so let me ask you a question. Did I hear you say inside of the movie, the movie suggested that the Holocaust did not happen?
1: Correct. Kyrie did not. So Kyrie, literally, he put up a picture of the movie or a rental link or something in Amazon. No words, no context. Um, And that is, you know, there's there are apparently, clearly anti-Semitic tropes in the movie itself. Now, could we have a conversation with Kyrie about what those are instead of, you know, doing things the way that we did? Like, I think that's where we need to come back to the middle, to your earlier point, is like, if Kanye watched this movie and he's been raised up in a... Culture of anti-Semitism or a culture of tropes about Jewish people that are not true—that's certainly going to color his his view of Jewish people. Um, and so, you know, if if I were to put up, let's say, the a picture of Birth of the Nation, um, I would expect that. I would get slapped around a little bit because that's a a clearly racist movie. Um, And I'm you know, my question is, can Kyrie not see this because he doesn't have the right information or is he just always in that? Like, I'm going to be controversial mode of of being Kyrie.
0: Yeah. You know what? You know, again, some people would say that um, a little bit of information sometimes is dangerous. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, so we yes. we we find ourselves going down these rabbit holes and we look at a couple of documentaries or we watch a couple of clips of something on YouTube uh, and we read a couple of pages of a book. We listen to a few moments of a podcast and we feel like that's something that should be regurgitated. It should be reshared. It becomes gospel the hymn. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that I, I think that we absolutely should put pause down. Um, I think that we should use some degree of discretion. And so if Kyrie stands to be corrected, and I absolutely believe that the Holocaust happened. Period. So if this is a movie that says that the Holocaust did not happen, Torrin personally would not share it. If that was the only trope in the movie, I wouldn't share the movie. I I just wouldn't do it because I don't want a person to have to sift through um, and try to determine which inaccuracies are the ones that are most damaging to a community of people. So I believe that certainly that is problematic, but I don't think that it's one of those things where it needs to be more than him apologizing if he has already apologized, not once, but a couple of times. I don't think that he should be getting the categorization of being anti-Semitic. I just think that we are too loose with how we are putting some of these titles on people. But again, that's just me, my opinion, and I'm not Jewish. And that's the reason why I would love to have someone from that community to come on. You know, we we've done it a number of times, and we try our best to find people that are. Uh, of the voice that we are discussing so that we're not talking for them. We're not talking about them, that we are talking with them. And so I think in 2023, we are absolutely going to have a few conversations around anti-Semitism. You just did something. You don't know you did it. I'll tell you offline what you did, but you just did something, which was, which was a uh, promising.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and I agree, but, you know, just to kind of, you know, wrap up this segment is what I love about our show is that we give each other that space to figure it out together and we recognize the things that we don't know and the things that we, you know, we need to have different conversations on. I do think as we are wrapping up the segment, just thinking about um, something again, I think that, that you brought up last week on the show was once the Twitter purchase was, um, finalized the dramatic increase in the use of the N-word and anti-Semitic um, language specifically rose dramatically on Twitter. So I think that for for Jewish people, or at least I'll say my concern is that we are going through historically a rise in anti-Semitic beliefs and behaviors, and we've seen how those have played out in the past and not just the holocaust but dozens of times over the past you know couple of thousand years with programs in russia and, and all over the world that we need to be um i think we need to focus on being cautious um in a lot of in a lot of these places especially for this community right now
0: I agree I think. I agree. I agree. All right. So uh, we'll be right back because we got to do our, her voice segment and close out the show. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit You can find the Driving Change podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. All right. Her voice uh, is where we amplify women that are making moves. And up first, longtime HBO president for documentary films is Miss Sheila Nevin. Under Nevins, HBO had become a well-funded platform for filmmakers willing to explore deeply the lives of people on the fringes of society. She, Miss Sheila Nevin, was actually responsible for the HBO trilogy Paradise Lost that helped to free three unjustly imprisoned teens known as the West Memphis Three.
1: Got to check that out. Um, then we have Kylie Adams who tweets at UMICH, M-I-C-H as in Michigan, UMICH Medicine, uh, is a student who is dedicated to ensuring everyone can enjoy the outdoors. She created a wheelchair made specifically for nature trails and developed a free public trail chair program to increase accessibility for the entire community. You can check her out at UMICH Medicine on Twitter.
0: Yes, indeed. Lois Curtis, uh, a civil rights icon and champion for justice. Lois, unfortunately, uh, passed away last week. She was the lead plaintiff in the 1999 Supreme Court landmark decision, Olmstead versus LC. It's a decision that changed the lives of millions of people. And in that ruling, penned by the late Justice Ginsburg, the Olmstead decision made or forced institutionalization of disabled people illegal. And since it has been passed, Olmstead has been applied to state institutions, schools, and workplaces. The AAPD put out a really beautiful statement about Lois Curtis, again, who passed away last week.
1: And finally, Chief Human Resource Officers are becoming top picks for CEO. A move unheard of five years ago. Brianna von Stripp of Anthemius, Leslie Motter of Make a Wish Foundation, and Lena Nahr of Chanel have all moved from HR to the corner suite.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I just want to say that I didn't do a good job this week, Jay, on disability Twitter. Uh, So I apologize to you. I apologize to our listeners uh, for not necessarily having the Twitter mentions lined up. Uh, I missed that part in pulling the show together, but I am absolutely putting the mention out there. I want people to go out and get on Twitter. Do hashtag disability Twitter. Just put the hashtag in the search disability twitter and find articles find resources find people that will introduce you to what it's like to be a part of the disability community
1: all right and i will give one quick name drop this week to a good friend of ours from the disability community kathleen lee who passed away last week um if you know her uh, you know what she meant to our community the amazing work she did through cornell the amazing advocacy that she did Uh, we lost her and i would just like to close reminding each and one every one of you that we should take the signs of suicide seriously Um, if you are considering suicide call the national suicide hotline and call a friend because we need you and we love you and we don't want to lose you and we lost an amazing woman too soon um, this month
0: yes indeed uh cat was phenomenal only had a chance to meet her but one time and her energy was radiant smile was bright had on her cowgirl boots and she was stepping through that joint in california love 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 meeting cat um earlier this year we close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe and to find your voice. Be a better human. Let's create better culture teams and workplaces for now. Jay and I are ghost. See ya. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging.